Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday afternoon. We're having a storm over here. I'm going to see if I can take this opportunity to do um, the Tefillah podcast, courtesy of Mishpacha Stefanski. I don't have anybody for the Haftorah, so maybe that won't happen. But we do for the Tefillah, so let's get right into it. Uh, Since we're now in Elul, and pretty soon we're going to blow the shofar, so let's look at the shofar that we talk about every day three times in Davening. It's another paragraph of the Shemona Esri, as I sort of committed myself to do. Um, and that would be Tekabashov Gadol Kerisenu, you say every day. Now, uh, as you know, I'm sh- I know everybody knows this. When you blow the shofar, so there's like 12, Saad Yigon gives 12 reasons or 13 reasons, whatever it is. It's in the Yorktool Moxer. It's from the Munus Videos. It's in the old Yiddish uh, Moxers when I was a kid. And uh, one of them is to remember the shofar Gadol because we say in the Messianic era, they'll be blowing a great trumpet. Pretty soon you'll mach you zechornos to shovers, as everybody knows. And in the shovers part, you will evoke the image of the two famous biblical um, shofers. One is um, the one at Har Sinai, when there was no shofar, but there was a sound of a shofar. And then apparently, the prophets, Yeshayon, in chapter 27, talks about um, the Messianic era, uh, which is very interesting because very grossly anthropomorphic. God will blow a great horn, and that will summon... That will be the sign of um, the coming of Mashiach and the, and the Gula. Now, to tell you the truth, from a Maimonidean perspective, it's very fascinating because the language that we have is extremely anthropomorphic. Blow the great trumpet, O Lord. Blow the great... If you look at the at the um, Navi, it says, Yitoka is, is Nifal, and passive, and notice a great shofar will be blown. It doesn't say God will blow the shofar. That might be a little bit too anthropomorphic for the prophet Isaiah. Although I'm looking at the Targum Yonasam, and he said, God will blow the shofar. Don't use the uh, the passive. So maybe here we get into biblical criticism, you know, what's the right girsa? Or you talk about shofar God, but the way we have it is Yitaka, of course. But the way you say it in Davening, is is Taka, is Taka. So you, God, will blow this uh, great trumpet. And what's the point of blowing all that? What is it all about? Whatever it is, that's the meaning of the paragraph of the person who composed the Shemon Esri. This is, um, this is taken from Yeshayahu, right? Uh, in Chavzayin uh, over there. Now, um, yeah, I'm sorry, I got interrupted. Uh, so he says, uh, you blow the shofar and all that. Um, he took up a shofar gadol, and then v'sonei. That's uh, obviously from Isaiah 62, where he says, uh, you know, raise the, the flag, the ensign. Every weaver v'asharim panaderacham sakom even harim salamin. You know, raise up the, the the flag to tell the Jews to return back to Israel. The kabbit school yisheno. 
uh, it literally, not literally, you know, the Radak and all those, the, the rationalists, they always say it's not literal. Here's the Radak on Hariu Nes. She Yavastra Sam Bechomokom, Bechol Zed Derech Moshal, Loshi Arimu Nes V'Yisakul Avonim, El Derech Moshal. You know, Yom Rul Amim Yisrael, Tu B'Shul Arzachem. Okay. We don't know. You can imagine whatever you want. I mean, is God going to blow on a, on a trumpet? I don't think so, <laughs> you know. But will there be a great chauffeur? You know, today with the modern technology, maybe it'll be a great chauffeur. I don't know. Or maybe it's just a marshal. Like we say today, wake-up call. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes great historical events, they say, have the effect of wake-up call. So it'll be a change in, in, in um, a transformation in, in consciousness. Now, um, what's interesting... Whew, what's interesting is that the reference over here is to Golis and to Kibbutz Golios and Cherus, of course. If you look at the famous verse, it says that when you blow the shofar, two types of Jews will show up. Those from Eretz Asher and those from Eretz Mitzrayim. Now, what that means historically, we'll leave it aside. At the time of the prophet Isaiah, when he pronounced these. But the Nidochim Beretz Mitzrayim, many Mepharshim say that the Oven Beretz Asher would be like the Ten Tribes. People ask me, somebody asked me to do a, a podcast on Ten Tribes. Uh, are they coming back, not coming back, and so forth? Who knows? I don't say that to be funny. I'm serious. <coughs> Whenever you see these kinds of prayers, you have to have a certain sense of skepticism on the skepticism. That's my opinion. Uh, science is always up to today. They don't know what's going to be tomorrow. Is it possible that somebody will blow a great trumpet you hear it all over the world? Obviously, at the time of Rashi and Redak, the answer was no, unless a miracle. Today, with the modern... Science is, is very, it could be. Somebody could have put a big, big sign to be seen on the internet all over the world. I don't know. I think it was last week. Uh, someone who I'm close with in Israel sent me an article in Israel about Ari Kaplan. I sent him back a, a, a video on YouTube. Ari Kaplan was interviewed on some religion show yesteryear. There's only one YouTube about it that I know of. And this guy said, well, Ari Kaplan doesn't believe the world is creating is a six trillion years. You know, it's not six days. And I said to him, you know, sometimes Ari Kaplan said it was six billion years, and sometimes it was six days. How can he say it's six days? You know, he was a physicist. And I said, I, look, I didn't know Ari Kaplan. But I said to the guy, I wrote to him, I said, listen, you know, uh, maybe he didn't necessarily hold... That physics up to the 1980s represents the final truth. Science is never the final truth. It's always moving forward. Paradigms of thought change also, not only details of science. It's not that we know all the science today, we're just going to add a few pitches here and there and touch a few things up. Entire paradigms of thinking change over the course of time. That's what history teaches. Maybe yes, maybe no. You know, maybe we'll discover a new way of looking at time to look like six days. Or not. Or not. Same thing with the Kabbalah Shavu Gadol The problem is I have to daven today. I don't know what it's going to be like a hundred years and a thousand years. I have to daven today. 
So what does it mean today? That's the question. The Shofar Gadol, which again, you had a Shofar Gadol at Harsina, just it wasn't physical, but it was the sound of a Shofar. So it was audio. Sonnes is, is video, is, is visual. Correct? The Kabbalah Shofar Gadol is an appeal to, an appeal to the ear. Sonnes the Kabbalah Shofar is an appeal to the eye. That's clear. That's obvious. There's a difference between, there, there are different effects by that which you listen to and that which you see. To put it in very simple, earthly terms, great music has a certain effect on you. Great painting and art has a different effect on you. One's a, a something from the from the hearing, and one's something from the seeing. In in um, in this prayer, they put both in there. We hope to hear something that will lead to our cheres. That's not a physical, I mean, it's physical. Notice it's, it's uh, audio. It's not visual. I like to think, this is my own opinion, I like to think there's like a certain appeal to um, transcend the love of the, of, of the gulls. Most Jews like the comforts of the Gaul. I mean, that's just who we are. Even if you live in Israel, it could be in Gauls. Because you can be, you know, you're not a Stoic. You're not liberated from <clears throat> dependency on materialism. So you're in the final Eretz role of the high level. Plenty of people are super materialistic living in Yerushalayim a block away from the Kotel. Don't you think right now there's somebody in the Rova? I don't know the Rova. You're living in a block away from the base of Migdash. And the guy's, you know, I don't know, maybe he's a, you know, he's on the internet, he's on a porn thing. Who knows what that's going on, you know? He's got some other dependency. He's going to say the reverse of, of what's his name, of the poet, Yudha Levi. Yudha Levi says, uh, The guy who's watching the show in some apartment a block away from the Koto is saying, <laughs> Right? You're praying to Kabbalah for Acheris, Acheris is national, but it's also individual. A person is struggling with some kind of problem in life. is praying for Acheris, and he's not necessarily referring to the coming of the King Messiah and the leading the Hebrew people back to Israel. He wants to break his dependency. He wants to get out of his depression. He wants to get out of his issues. He wants Acheris. And he's a religious guy, and he says, without God doing it, it's not going to happen. I don't know that much, but I know the uh, alcohol, because none of them, those kind of things, they don't, don't they need a higher power? Something like that. Isn't that right? The Kabbalah you need to be freed of the things that enslave you. If you're in Gullis, if you're living in America, are you enslaved? I'm asking a good question. Are you enslaved? Well, I mean, you can get on a plane anytime you want. So what are you enslaved about? The answer is, if you're middle class, which I think most of us are, certainly if you're listening to this, if you're middle class, you're, you're enslaved, you're dependent on things, on material stuff. That's in a broad, general way. And expresses itself in our own personal lives, each one of us in its own, his and own her personal issues. The middle class person, I always say, doesn't ask for super luxuries, but I got to have my air conditioning, I got to have my bathroom, I need a car, you know, things like that. Suppose I told you, Mashiach is coming tomorrow. You have to give up your bathroom. You have to give up your car. You have to give up your luxury. You have to live 
like they did in time to others. You know, walk around with sandals. And so, well, you do it. Some people say, I'll do it. Some people say, wait a minute. I think, <laughs> I think I'll take a pass. Be like that guy. I told you a story once. That, that uh, who was it? The Mashkiach from Israel. I heard him in Baltimore. Stern. Remember him? Stern. He said he came to London. I heard a speech he gave in Shomer. And it was in summer. And he came to see one of his big givers. And the, and the van was packed for the annual holiday, the annual vacation. And when the guy saw me, he immediately ran outside, ran into the house and gave him a check. A nice check. And um, for the communist yeshiva. And Rabbi Stern asked him, what if I told the Mashiach was coming today? And the guy answered honestly. He said, listen, I'm a from Jew. I hope the Mashiach is coming. But Tuesday, I was here, he doesn't come. And the day of my vacation, he's coming? And that's not right. And Rabbi Stern said, "That's not, you're an honest man. I like the answer. In other words, at least you're telling it straight. No bull. See, that person is not liberated. You understand? It's ready to drop everything if necessary. It expressed itself in our, in, in the last century, we saw a lot of people, you know this story, stories. They could have dropped everything and gone to Israel and gotten out to America right then and there. They'd have to give up the whole house and everything in Germany. And they couldn't do it. And then by the time they made it their mind, it was too late. Hitler already got them. You have to be ready to drop everything for a higher purpose if necessary. And most people are so stuck with their stuff. And not, the people not usually ready to walk away. And if you admit this dependency, then you see the Kabbalah Shofar Gadol Kerusinu. Then you need a Shofar Gadol. You need a big sound. You pray for God to help you out with this. It's not so simple. And with Sony Sankabitsu which is very interesting, the, I think the Mepharshim say, this is talking, talking about the Ten Lost Tribes. That the prophecy is, there are various ways of reading this, but the prophecy is that even they will come back. But Um Think about this. Where are the ten tribes today? The answer is nobody knows. The answer is they don't know. But it could change tomorrow. Maybe come up with new DNA stuff. And if this paragraph came true, Sonei Sakabitskulisenu, could be Israel be flooded with 25 million people. You say, I didn't even know they're Jewish. They didn't know they're Jewish. But something will happen. Something visual will happen, or something uh, audio will happen, or to be some kind of wake up call or stirring of consciousness. And all kind of people who didn't know that they're Jewish, I mean, for 2,000 years, we'll discover that they are. Don't ask me how. I don't know how. And all of a sudden, it's Kabbalah going to see quite a phenomenon. I'm simply raising for you various scenarios that different unfortunately suggested for what they imagined, because nobody knows, will be like in final era of Mashiach. But when you do this prayer, as we do this paragraph, one's mind is always supposed to be taken away, at least for a minute, to the future. Now, there's also a present. And I'm sure all my Zionist friends will shoot me and say, you shouldn't go to Aliyah now. And there's truth to that. No question about it. But as I said before, the people in Israel also say, Now they might answer, 
we're talking about the elders. We want the other Jews to come. But the truth of the matter is, the Gaulus is a deeper idea than just a geography. There is a geographical component to it. There's no question about it. And people living in Israel are better off than people living in Kutzor. There's no question about that. Right? No illusions. But the people living in Eretz Yisrael are also under many Gauluses. Right? We talk about Gaulus of China, Gauluses of this, Gauluses of that. Because even Israel today is in a funny situation. According to the Jewish teachings, if it was a real Gula and not a Gaulus, we wouldn't be getting the leftovers of the elders. They would be getting the leftovers from us. That's how Ariza and the others say it. Israel survives because I mean, now things are a little bit better, but not much better. Israel historically has survived because of the crumbs of the table given to them by U.S. and Germany. That's the plain truth. Even at this moment, they're getting subsidies from America. That's literally the manifestation of Gaul Sashrina. And then the good Lord arranged matters in such a way, I don't know why, he didn't tell me, that we do have a country, barely, and we all are holding one, barely, and we have kept 70 years or something like that, you know, together, despite all the constant and unceasing efforts of our enemies, which are only going to increase now, in my opinion, after the fall of Afghanistan, because Mechazik, the bad guys, but it's been happening in such a way that you're always dependent on the others. You get the leftovers from the others. Especially in the early years, but even afterwards, Germany's given Israel billions and America given billions. As Mamish like they say in the Arizal, it's the, it's the leftovers, you know, it's the surplus. America didn't give from what hurts. They give from what doesn't hurt. That's been the basic approach of the Israeli appeal to U.S., which is, it's just a little bit extra for you. For us, it matters a lot. You give us two, three, four billion here, two, three, four billion there. You can afford it. We need it desperately. And so, now Israel said it was a startup nation, all the rest of it. I don't know the economics that well, but I say, as far as I can see, if America pulled out all of its, today, today, pulled out all of its subsidies, it would be a terrible uh, felt in Israel. You know what I'm saying? Terrible felt in Israel. Uh, so it's not necessarily Cheirusenu. And we haven't reached the point of Kibbutz Goliath yet. In the process. That I do believe. I don't know how. Nobody knows how. This wasn't predicted exactly by the prophets of Israel. Nobody, nobody ever foresaw there would be a Ben-Gurion Medina and so on and so forth. That is all true. But so what? You're simply telling me that they couldn't see the, the, the scenario the way it would unfold. But it's unfolding the way it is. Is there a Kibbutz Goliath in Israel? Of a sort. Of a sort. The Kibbutz Goliath is, first of all, physical. People come from different countries. Kibbutz Goliath is also different hashkafas, right? From, not from this, that, and the other. It's, a, it's an interesting idea of Kibbutz Goliath. We're certainly not holding, as far as I can see, Ubo Ovnimiyaretz Ashur yet. That people don't even know they're Jewish and now discovering that they're Jewish. Even though there's some groups that try to do this with an African tribe here and an Indian tribe there. They're called uh, not. I'm sure I told you before. I'll never forget reading many, many years ago when I was much younger in Yiddish paper. There was an interview with Lubavitch Rebbe. I mean, long ago. And the guy asked him, how many Jews in the USSR in Soviet Russia? I thought he was going to say 3 million, whatever. 17 million. 
17 million. And he said, I guess Lubavitch knows, you know, they have the inside track, which they did do, which they did have the inside track. That means that they knew about people who are Jewish. The people themselves may not know they're Jewish because you don't know who your great-grandmother was, but I do, you know, that kind of thing. At least that's how I understood it. And so when you say the Kabbalah will go to everything, it's going to be not exactly the way you imagine, right? The average American Jew says like this, or or British or whatever, let me win the jackpot, and then I'll buy a house in Israel, and I'll spend some of the time there, some of the time here, something like that. That's not what they mean by cheresinu. It's a start, though. I'm not knocking it. I'm not making fun of somebody, things like that. It was a little far-fetched. I'm simply raising a question. What do you think when you say this? And what do you mean by cheresinu? If you live in a Western country, you're pretty free. Unless you tell me you're not free from thinking in gullist categories, from thinking in materialist categories. Are you going to be free from gullist categories if you move to Israel? Well, in a certain sense, yes, but not from materialist ones. I don't think so. The same person wants a nice place to live now, wants a nice place to live if they move in Israel. You see? Uh... How do they imagine, you know, the 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 the, the final uh, geula, the kibbutz Goliath. Uh Not to be worried about it at all is a real problem. To be dead to the realities of Golas is a real problem. That is why the Chazal made this. They could have left this out. And it will come when God wants it to come anyway. They wanted, as far as I can see, every Jew to have the feeling of the Golas. Well, the most dangerous thing of all it's not to feel your own goals. Okay? Which has happened from time to time in Jewish history, as we know. There are many German Jews who were so patriotic, etc. Let me at least realize that, that I'm in a goal situation. That is key to preservation of Jewish identity. At least as far as I understand it. Now, it doesn't mean you're not a patriotic citizen of whatever country you're in. As the Jews have demonstrated, they are patriotic citizens. And yet, at the same time, the person has to say like this, he says, I'm serving faithfully. I'm serving a gullus situation. Uh, can you transmit this to the next to the kids and the kids to the kids and, you know, generation after generation? It's not so passionate. If they will think about what they're saying when they recite the Kabbalah of Godot, maybe. Otherwise, not so simple, right? Now, how this ties exactly with the shofar of Harsinai, which I repeat, is mentioned at great length in the Shemonastery of the Musaf, as we all know, in the Malchus of Harsinai Shofars, it's not so simple. And, of course, symbolically, we blowing the shofar during the month of El. So I'm sure that when you say the Kabbalah you got to think about that. Even the rest of the year, maybe not. Month of Ella has extra dimension. How you translate that into the Gullus business, I'm not 100% sure. I think you and I, each one of us has to do it in his or her own way. But I'll tell you again, the person that doesn't feel that they're in Gullus, doesn't bother them in some way. That's a big problem. Okay? 
there's a famous story, you know, Barbanel writes, when he was kicked out of Spain in 1492. They had to run away to Italy. First in Naples, eventually he was up north or in Pisa, north of Rome, you know, leaning to Pisa. And there he uh, was entertained by the richest Jew over there, uh, Yechil Nesim de Pisa, famous person in Jewish history, who lived in a mansion, etc., etc. If I remember correctly, the Barbanel, who had just suffered the Gaulish from Spain, which was a tremendous shock, because apparently many of the Jews in Spain had persuaded themselves that they're here till Ad Ad you know, till Mashiach coming even after that. That's how attached they were to Spain. And then when they were kicked out, and I'm talking about the Frumans, the non-Frumans stayed behind and became Christian. I'm talking about the Frumans who gave everything up and left. They still, with a, a supreme shock, Ad Kedekach, that they said it must be Mashiach Tan. Must be, you know, Ixed Mashiach and you know, the Hevli Mashiach and all that, which it was not. But that's how they read the Rambanel's uh, description Book of Daniel. And the point is, here he's just, he is the living manifestation of the reality of Golis, of the transitory nature of living in any kind of framework. And Yechilnis in the Pisa, who was of his class, he was a millionaire also, at the time, Tom the Marbanel was no longer a million. He lost all his money back in Spain, but he had come from such a background. I remember he only seen the piece that tells him, you know, here it's perfect, and even if Mashiach comes, I'm okay, and, you know, I'll send money to Israel, something like that, I'll, I'll pay him a visit, I'm going to stay here. In Renaissance Italy, when the Jew was living on the point of a sword all the time, and sooner or later the Jews were kicked out of peace and things like that, we have a uh, uh, one of our weaknesses as a people, not it's not our only weakness, one of the weaknesses, going back to Meraglam, is we like the Gaulish. The prosperity, the, whatever it is, I don't know. Right? The culture, I say again, they like the culture. This has been true since the Jews were in the Greek times. It is what it is. It's not so simple to get out of that. And it's not so simple to realize this to get out of that. That's why they they compose, as I see it, this um, paragraph, thousands of years ago, and they wanted every Jew, when you read it, to get like a little buzz. Let's see. And unless you read it off by rote and don't think of the words, well, unless you read it like that, you know, it makes you think. Or at least it's supposed to make you think. And I think, by the way, it has. And in my opinion, when you see an American family, as we do, all the time, just get up and make Aliyah, I think because it, it like chipped away at them. And every day when you see it kind of chips away at them. There are others who are rich, and they can afford to live in both places. So they got a house in Yerushalayim and a house over here. It's not to hate. They'll negotiate that paragraph however they negotiate it. For those who are poor, and I mean poor in a sense, you can't afford to buy a place in Israel. You know, it's not so simple. Someone's stuck over here with a job or a situation. At least they have to feel guilty. 
At least you feel guilty. The minute you stop feeling guilty, you have, you have issues. I'm speaking from a Judaic perspective. The minute you, you feel comfortable, you don't feel guilty, to some degree, you you got issues. So therefore, we end up with a, 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 a Jew saying, I feel like I'm in exile. It could mean a physical and political exile. It could mean, as I said before, the kind of a spiritual exile that would apply even to a Jew living in Israel. Now, an Israeli listening will say, wait a minute, I live in Israel. That doesn't mean you're not in exile. And the fact that you don't feel comfortable thinking in those terms is a, is a Judaic problem of your own. If we don't, at least in my mind, see these things this way, then you have this terrible, um, what's the right word? You know, satisfaction. Uh, you know, when you're satisfied already, you don't need to move anywhere. Uh, the word escapes me. You know, you're self-satisfied. And then that's that's the enemy of progress. Um, our greatest asset as a people has always been the self-critical faculty. Um is 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 a paragraph, a pithy paragraph in the self-criticism. And instead of being angry about it, you know, you have to embrace that. At least that was the opinion of the Chazal. So it turns out, if there's anything I'm saying today that's right, when you daven el mincha and marv and all the rest of it, when you get to that paragraph, that should actually be like emotionally wrenching to some degree or another. It should be discomforting. If you say to Kabbalah Gadol, here you say it's just the glot, you know, the comfort level, whoo, I think you have issues. That's all. I think you have issues. Anyway, that's something to keep in mind. I may have something else to say about this in connection with the Chodesh Elul in a different context. I'll save that for a different po- podcast. Um, but for now, once again, I thank Mishpacha Savansky, and uh, for that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.